The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every single solitary week we work our fingers through the bone to make sure you get the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today we're going to talk about the hottest topic in creative deal making, which is not subject to... It's not wraparound mortgages. It's not how to get private lenders, although we're going to talk about that next week. It's how in the world do you find the people who are willing to do creative deals with you? That's, that's, that's like as soon as people, as soon as people decide that, yes, it would be really good for me to do some of these owner finance deals. That is the very next question that everybody asks. But before we get to our topic, um, it's a week early, but if you're in the greater Cincinnati area, you probably should mark the evening of June 1st off your calendar. Like nothing, nothing happens on June 1st in the evening, except that you come to the RIA of Greater Cincinnati meeting. And here's why. This is an in-person meeting and it's all about how to barter things. It's about how to trade what you have to get what you want, or sometimes to trade what you have to get what the other person wants so that you can get what you want. And it's not just going to be like a sage from the stage lecture. It's we're actually going to we're actually going to bring stuff with us. We're all going to bring something that's in our house that we don't want. And we're going to learn how to trade real estate and notes by trading personal property. Now you can you can bring real estate and notes too if you want. There'll be people who would be happy to trade you something for all or part of that deal, but uh it's an experience that you won't get anywhere else. And if you're in the real estate game or wanna be in the greater Cincinnati area, you should go to Cincinnatiria.com and sign up for next Thursday's main uh, Cincinnati chapter meeting. Uh, if you happen to be in the Columbus area, I know we have a lot of listeners in Columbus. We're doing the same thing in Columbus on the following Tuesday. That's uh, at central, or sorry, at uh, coreerocks.com, C-O-R-E-E rocks.com. So let's get to the topic. My guest today is Maria Giordano, who has built a quite a little business for herself and now is also building a reputation as a national educator on the topic of creative creative deals and how to do them and how to negotiate them and how to market for them and all of the things around creative deals. Uh, she's joining us by phone. Maria, welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. 
Thank you. Great to be here. It's it's great to have you here. You've you've kind of been on my radar for a very long time. I've heard some uh, people I respect a lot talk about how much they respect you. However, I'm going to be learning along with the audience how you do this today, because I I don't I don't have a huge insight into into your particular business. So let's let's just start with introductions. Tell us about yourself, where you work, how you got started, what happened then, sure. how you ended up where you are today. <laughs> um, well, I was kind of became one of those accidental real estate people. I grew up in a family that was in real estate. My father actually built from the ground up. He was in the trades. They owned commercial and townhouses and stuff like that. And I discovered back in the 80s how much I really did not like my parents having rentals because we didn't have all the great background checks that we do today. And I got to be the kid that went in and cleaned up all the nasty, you know, dog, cat messes, all that stuff, which back then was not the smell of money to me. Um, And then, of course, when the 80s hit, we all know what happened to interest rates. They went from what was a low interest rate back then of like 6.7 up to the 18s percent and all of a sudden my parents were having a hard time making their mortgage on their primary residence so we actually ended up moving into one of our rental properties and my father also ended up getting laid off from work and all that kind of stuff so our rental properties kind of saved us Mm -hmm. um fast forward graduating high school didn't want to go into the trade so i decided i was going to go work in a factory (laughs) um christmas time i get laid off so i thought okay i'm going to go to college i'm going to become a nurse I'm not going to have to worry about getting laid off. Well, trading my time for money, days, nights, weekends, all that kind of stuff. And it's really hard to raise kids, especially when you're a single parent um, as a nurse. And then come along and a lot of nurses found out, too, during COVID, I got laid off. So I decided I was going to go into corporate America because, you know, they don't lay off you in corporate America. And I got hired to build businesses, uh, do startups in healthcare, uh, assisted living facilities and home health companies and stuff like that. And lo and behold, I get into a disagreement with the partners I built this massive multi-million dollar company with. And they take me aside after this board meeting and they kind of say, hey, Maria, have you ever heard the term um, money talks and, you know, what walks? I said, uh, yeah, but I don't agree with what you guys are doing in the patient care. Well, got my third pink slip. <laughs> so after that, I was like, you know, real estate might not be so bad. And we started with, I got married, and we started with a vacation rental over 15 years ago before it was ever a thing. And I didn't think of myself as a real estate investor doing a vacation rental because nobody was talking about that as being, well, real estate. Mm-hmm. And so then from there, I went, got a mentor, went to my RIA, which really got me started, and started fixing and flipping. And I was doing six-plus flips a month, kind of built the monster, um, very profitable, made, made about over $600,000 my first year. Um, my first flip made almost my entire annual salary as a registered nurse in, like, gosh, 45 days. So I was kind of hooked. Uh but then a little friend that you may know of, a man by the name of Pete Fortunato, uh, I was really proud of myself. And so I went up to Pete and I said, hey, Pete, I came from nothing and look what I did. And in true Pete wisdom, he said, oh, that's great. Well, how much would you have if you had all those properties? <laughs> how, how, how much income are those properties you sold generating for you? Yes, I can, oh, I can hear his yeah. voice. <laughs> 
And just like that, I turned my whole strategy to buy and hold. But again, I didn't have a ton of money to be buying, you know, hold properties doing the old fashioned way that my parents did. You know, you save up, you go to the bank, you know. Plus, as I discovered as an entrepreneur, um, banks don't like us. So right off the bat, I had to figure out how can I buy creatively? <laughs> well, I didn't know it was called creative back then. Um, so that was really how I got started doing landlording and my whole thing into the, the real estate mm-hmm. realm. And and, so, and how long have you been sort of on that buy and hold path? And, and where are your properties? Like, where where are they in the world? So we, my husband and I, we have properties uh, kind of all over the country, um, Arizona, Florida, Pennsylvania, um, Wisconsin. Uh, so we, we kind of look at different markets. When I got started, so I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, when I was in my early 30s, I decided Arizona is the place to be because you don't have to shovel the heat. So lived out in Arizona for about 18 years, and that's really where I got started in the last crash. Um, when everybody's running away, I was running towards the fire. Uh-huh. And so that was how I got started. And then about four years ago, we moved to central Pennsylvania. Well, four, almost five years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you, sort of have, you sort of have properties in places that you lived, except for Florida. Right. Uh-huh. right. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and let folks start uh formulating and sending in their questions. Our topic again is marketing to get creative deals and then all of the other things around marketing. Cause lots of, you know, lots of people talk about, Oh yeah, I do postcards, do cold calls, do whatever. But then they forget to tell you what happens when somebody responds <laughs> to your marketing, what all that, well, all the practicalities around that look like. And we are taking listener questions. If you'd like to, Send an email, uh, send it to askvina, that's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A, at gmail.com. You can also just call your question in. We'll answer it live here in the studio up through about uh, 5 till 6 Eastern time, 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Maria Giordano, and she she's going to help us understand her process for marketing to sellers who are the best potential creative finance people. Like, like there's another side, right? Like, you can know all the creative finance in the world, but if you don't have somebody on the other side who goes, yeah, actually, that sounds like it would work for me pretty well. It, it, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. You got to have the deals. So you can exactly. ask your questions about this at 877-772-9658. Let me say it again, 877-772-9658 or at askvena, A-S-K-V-E-N-A, at gmail.com. So, Maria, let's get right to it, because I sent out like 10,000 e-letters a couple of hours ago saying, yeah, she's going to tell us how how she finds these deals. So, question number one, who? Like, who are you marketing to? Who, who's your best potential customer in your head? So, when I'm doing my direct mail... I am going after the tired landlords, and there are so many of them right now, but I am going 
after tired landlords who've owned their properties typically for more than 10 years that they've had uh, or have a vacancy or evictions. Because I want people that are, it sounds bad, but suffering. They're, they've got to have some type of pain to be motivated to, to sell. There's something they're trying to get away from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I go after them. Um, and the other thing that is, A new stream that I've just recently started doing is helping wholesalers. So I'm having wholesalers bring me their leads because they're not closing all the deals that they used to be because, you know, they're usually wholesaling to flip. Mm -hmm. And so they have a whole pipe stream of untapped resources that they've spent all this money on. So when I'm working with wholesalers, I say, hey, if you have a landlord or somebody, a homeowner that might be interested in, you know, getting paid over time, send them my way. I'll talk to them. I'll do all the work. I'll structure them. And then, you know, there's several different ways I can pay out the wholesaler. And that has been huge right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I want to make sure people heard w- what you just said, because because... There's a lot of people who market to, quote, absentee owners, and that's everyone. That's every human being within within a county that happens to own a rental or not live in their property, okay? And my own experience with that list is that, number one, it's the most marketed to list in the country, Mm -hmm. so they're they're getting lots of stuff. And number two, that... That that list, everybody who owns a rental is not a particularly motivated list. There's just there's just not a natural. Why why if I own a rental property do I necessarily want to sell it? Well, and some of them because they're absentee owners aren't even a rental property. I mean, when I live in Arizona and when I'm marketing in Florida, that's a snowbird or a vacation rental. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you and, you added you added a couple of things to the. I'm going after the the rental property owners that I want to make sure people heard. <laughs> you're like you're taking this <laughs> giant list because I I think in my county that list is in the tens of thousands of people. I mean, and that's a lot of that's mm. a lot of stamps. That's big. That's a lot of printing, right? And you are narrowing it down by saying, okay, and and who here has a problem? And and the problem that the problems that you named were uh, vacant property, uh, owned the property for a really long time, which is going to tend to mean they're getting toward retirement age. And a lot of people, when they get that age, they just want to cash out and I don't know, put their right. money in and a CD. And their families don't want the property. Yeah, right. They don't want to. Oh, I hear that all the time. But, well, I I, yeah. I kind of like my property, but I, my wife doesn't want to be stuck with it, and my kids aren't interested, so that's why I'm selling it. Yep. Are you dying? No. <laughs> but, the, but, but they all think you're going to die in the next two to five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah wait, but, but I am 84 and, you know, she's on my back about it. So, yeah, um, so that's pretty common. And then the third thing you said was uh, if they're filing eviction, mm-hmm. right? So, And then the other thing I'll filter out, too, is, and you mentioned it a little bit, is the senior owners, Mm-hmm. people who who are seniors as well. So again, I mean, I go from a list that's several thousand down to a few hundred at a time to pay on the town or the county. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So these, these are not people who are necessarily like financially desperate. In fact, they're probably not, not financially desperate. 
but they are people who a are very comfortable with the idea of taking payments because they've been doing it. I mean, what's rent? They've been trained. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's rent if not a payment? And B, they right. they actually tend to be a little more sophisticated about. Uh, okay, so if I'm getting this much every month from Maria, I'm actually still getting a lot of the income that I got from my rental because now I don't have to pay expenses on it. And that's better, mm-hmm. right? That's better for me because I don't have to manage it, maintain it, evict people, find people, all of that sort of stuff. So just making sure right. everybody everybody got that part. So you said you reached them by mail. Is that is that your only... Because so many of my, of my, we call our avatar or whatever the trendy term is these days, um, are senior owners or older, they're not texting. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually not doing email. Uh, my husband will do some door knocking. I am not a fan of door knocking. God love him, knocking himself out for it. Um, unless there's a property that I'm going to check out and the one next door is vacant or something. But, um, but yeah, the majority of it is direct mail. But it's not one and done, and that's the other problem I have is a lot of people think, oh, I sent out one, it didn't work. It's like, no, 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 I keep sending them out. And you know how they do all the studies on marketing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, your greatest response is going to happen after the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth time. Mm-hmm. And is it is it all postcards? Is it letters? Is it a combination of the two? It's a combination. I mean, the first mailing I always do is a letter because I want the return to senders because there's gold in that. Nobody ever looks up who, who you know, where'd that person go. Mm-hmm. So I want to know if, if I have the wrong address, you know, did they die? What's going on? Mm-hmm. So I do, my first mailing is always a letter. And then I, I sometimes will mix it up a little bit between, you know, a regular letter and a postcard. The Everything's branded, so they it looks the same. Um the messaging is very similar. Obviously, on a postcard, it's much smaller. Um, the other thing I do is on my letter, I tell them, you know, things in life has the tendency to change. Hang on to my letter. And they do. And I've gotten calls two years late or more later from mm-hmm. people who hung on to my letter. When I've asked them why, it's because of that little PS I put at the bottom. They said, well, it sounds like reasonable. <laughs> Uh huh. Yeah, it's uh, people do what they're told. It's funny, <laughs> you give them a reason, and they're like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, direct direct mail has a weirdly long shelf life. Not not like emails mm-hmm. and texts, which you know, as soon as they as soon as they go to the bottom of the screen, they're <laughs> they're basically gone forever <laughs> at that point. Oh yeah. So yeah. you've seen you've seen well, you're you're a rental owner, so you get postcards <laughs> from. Other yeah. investors, mostly mostly people who are wanting to buy from ca- for cash. So you've seen there's some right. commonality in the language that everybody uses about you know quick cash, uh, fast closing, blah blah blah. What do you say that's to these folks that's different than if you were strictly wanting to make a cheap cash deal? Well, I make my letter all about them. I, I do say in there that, you know, I can make a cash offer because I will make a cash offer. They're not going to like it. They're not going to want it. But um, I, I mentioned in there, you know, the pain points because it's all about them. It's not about me. It's how can I be a benefit to them? So in my letter, I put things like, you know, no showings, no realtor commissions. I mean, uh, no uh, cleanup. 
no repairs. So I'm putting all of that in my letter because those are all things that people dread. I mean, I remember what it was like when I was selling my house and, you know, a realtor calls you up and I mean, this was many, many years ago when my kids were little and Hey, we have a family who wants to see your house in 15 minutes. Can you get out of there? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking around and my kids just had a sleepover and we're making pancakes. Um, no. <laughs> so, or you, you know, so it's like I, I, as a, as a mom and as a woman, I, I pick up on those things. And also older couples are thinking, you know, gosh, I have so many repairs to make on this rental property before I do anything. The tenants just trashed it. You know, mm-hmm. I spoke to one, uh, a friend of mine who just got his property back with $35,000 in damages. So certain things are going to be of a benefit to them. And that's what I'm trying to tweak their curiosity because the whole purpose of a letter is one, get them to open it, two, get them to look at it and then get a response. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you don't include any talk about, you know, I can, I can pay you all cash or I can pay you a really high price if you're open to payments. No, because I don't want a sales letter. Nobody wants to be sold to. Okay. I want to find out what is there and that, you know, what is their situation? Mm-hmm. I want them to call me. I want to treat their curiosity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just all um, about them. I do pick up on, yep, all about them. Um, I pick up on the, because we're also competing with the iBuyers out there, and those are investor companies. You know, your open door, your knock, all that stuff are investment companies. So I also put in my ladder, though, no hidden fees, because as somebody who has properties, whenever I have a property go vacant, what do you think I do? I call open door, knock, whatever. I try out their systems. What are they doing now kind of stuff. Um, And I go through their pipeline to see what are they doing, what is the negative consequences of all this that are going to, you know, be hurting my sellers or they're going to come back and have objections to. Mm -hmm. And one of the things is is the fees that they're putting in there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, sure, open door, knock, any of those guys, they they may not be putting a commission, but, you know, I've seen some iBuyers that have had 14% in fees. Mm. And, and, you know, all that kind of thing. And I don't put weasel clauses in there either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. All right. So we're going to take a quick break because the inbox is starting to fill up with questions and we still need to get to, okay, and now they call and then what? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> listeners, if you have questions, 877-772-9658. Again, 877-772-9658 or askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Maria Giordano, who is uh, a rental property owner who buys her stuff creatively. Because as she said, traditional lenders aren't big fans of entrepreneurs (laughs) in the sense that um, we don't have... I don't know, salaries that are coming from paychecks written by other people. Uh, Many times we, all we can show them is our tax returns. We have no salaries whatsoever. Uh, You know, there's DSCR lenders. property as debt. (laughs) Yes, yes. There's lots, lots and lots of, lots and lots of negative numbers next to those properties along with the positive numbers. And I've had bankers who've said, you, your, 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 your rentals don't make any money. How are you eating? And I said, okay, you need to back out that line that says depreciation. That's not a real, I didn't pay anybody that. That's, <laughs> that's what I get to write off. How do you not understand? Oh, never mind. You're a banker, not a 
not a tax guy. So, um, no. <laughs> you know, creative, creative acquisition, uh, particularly through subject twos and lease options are a big thing with Maria. And in fact, while we're talking about things to put on everybody's calendar, November 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th here in Cincinnati is this year's uh, National Real Estate Summit, sponsored, of course, by Aria. And uh, Maria is going to make it, be making her very first appearance there as an instructor, because in looking at what she does and how she does it, we, we said, you know, she needs a whole day. She doesn't, like, 90, <laughs> 90 minutes or a 42-minute radio show. Um, not going to give people a full scope of how how you know nailed down she has all of these systems for creative finance. So um, y'all put it on your calendar. Don't schedule your wedding during then. Don't if you're if you're having a baby like a C-section beforehand. You know this, this is this is an important thing for real estate investors uh, to attend. And we are going to announce I think next week. Maybe maybe it's the week after. I'm not sure. Uh, the WMKV listener special on that, of which we will have a limited number like we always do. Oria donates tickets to WMKV. Uh, we'll have a limited number of those, and those will probably be gone way before the September Fun Drive where we usually talk about it. So, um, Maria, you, you mentioned one of the things that people don't seem to grasp about marketing, which is it's not one and done. And, and if you send, if you send out a postcard or a letter or whatever and you get a 0.5% response rate, it doesn't necessarily mean you have a bad list and it doesn't necessarily mean you have a bad letter. It just, you, you gotta, you gotta keep touching people. There's a, actually a weird sense of familiarity that develops with people, even though they've never met you, never talked to you when they see your letter or postcard hit the email or hit the, hit the mailbox every month right um and you know changing up the messaging in them so that because you, you don't know what that particular seller is is going to look at and go oh that's me i need to call right right so so yeah. repeat well and the other thing is if you're up against other people who are mailing if you're the one that's consistently doing it because nobody else is consistent who do you think they're going to call mm-hmm. well and the other thing is if you're the one who answers the phone because I can't, I can't tell you how many sellers I've spoken to said, you know, I have 28 of these postcards sitting in my hand and I've called seven of them and you're the first people who've actually picked up the phone <laughs> when I called. Right. Um, so, so, so it's a weird competitive advantage. So let, let's talk about that. Um, you drive them to the phone, I assume. You're not asking them to text you or email you since they don't do that. No, I do put now, but I do have on there like my email address because sometimes, you know, they, they do want to check you out or, or whatever. And then I convert them to a phone call. So every once in a while, yes, but, but the vast majority of them are, you know, they're old school. They want to pick up the phone and, and talk to them. make sure that you're there, that you're in the United States, that you're not in some call center, mm-hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. So who is it within your business that actually would answer that phone if it rang? So I do have Pat Live. So uh, when it doesn't go to my office, Pat Live will will answer the phone 24-7, which is awesome and and takes some basic information. And then I get back to them typically or I have, you know, an assistant or a virtual assistant that will also get back to them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I recommend people who are getting out that they need to be the one to call. I, I know how to talk to a seller. I don't need to call every seller back. Mm-hmm. I can have somebody else screen it for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the answering but service. But you have to have the phones answered. So, so it's, it's, the, the phone's always going to be picked up by a live human being. It might be an answering service. Yep. And then what kind of information does the answering service take? So the answering service asks them if they're, you know, buying or selling um, or, and, and usually from there, then they can figure out if it's one of my tenants. Uh, but otherwise, and they're asking them, you know, very simple questions. You know, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, how, how soon do you want to sell, kind of stuff like that. And uh, then uh, they hand it off. Uh, usually I, I do it by email because I have somebody mm-hmm. monitoring the email. Mm-hmm. And uh, they call them back right away. Mm-hmm. Or we might set up a time, too. Uh, we confirm the address. So you need to know the address of the property. We ask, um, you know, about what is, what purchase price do they want? Um, something else. Uh, obviously, a good phone number and a good time to call. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is a this is so a second I, person after the answering service, like the answering service emails. And no, now, the answering service is getting that. Is this, is asking this because I want to get an idea. Yeah, because I want to I want to know the property address mm-hmm. and so that they can have it up on their computer when they're calling them. And I because the you know, Purchase price changes so often. I want to get a ballpark idea where they're at, and then usually it, it, every time you ask, it changes. <laughs> uh huh. <Okay. laughs> Amazing. Yeah, true, true story. Okay, so now you've gotten this basic information that allows you or an assistant who has been trained to do this to sort of, um, mm-hmm. n- number one, probably vet them, you know, because if you have five right. five calls backed up, there's probably one that you should definitely call right now and one that you should probably never call, <laughs> but but you will. <laughs> so so vet them yeah. a little bit and then and then so they they call them back and then what what is happening? Are there more questions? So then um so yeah, so when we start asking them questions, we're asking them, you know, is it currently vacant? Do they have it listed with a realtor? I'm not a realtor, but I still want to know, uh, you know, if they've had it listed, why do they want to sell? And I get them talking about their property. And then, you know, just like Pete says, I ask, well, why would you want to sell such a nice property? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, oh, then they just go into, you know, so much more. So I want to ask them a lot of open-ended uh, questions to find out more about their situation. Uh, I tell them, well, you've not, if, if they've been a, a landlord for a while, I said, well, you've got to have some great tenants. Well, what am I doing? I'm really bringing up the pay, the pain point because they're, now they're thinking of, oh, great, really? Are you kidding me? What This is what the last one just did to me kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out where they're at. Mm-hmm. And then usually when I make my offers to them, I set up a meeting and I go in and I talk to them directly, have them take me through the property, that kind of stuff. If it's out of state, obviously we do a lot more over the phone kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you so. when you set up an appointment, is that because you have determined through these open-ended questions that there is pain, that they are in fact sellers because an amazing number of people call you who, <laughs> eh, we're just curious. They're not really sellers. <laughs> yeah, and you do get some of that. Um, well, I decide to see what I could get for it. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot of times they'll say, honestly, you know what? I'm not for everybody. I shouldn't be your first call. I should be your last call. Mm-hmm. And they get really taken aback by that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're like, what? You're not going to try to sell me on you? I'm like, no. 
<laughs> so, so, and again, when you go find it, that standpoint, they're like, they want you. <laughs> do you, do you introduce the concept of, of some kind of payments or takeover payments while you're on the phone with them or not until you meet them face to face? Um, usually it happens more face to face, but I do feel them out on, you know, cause I find out like, what is it running for? Um, you know, I find out a little bit more and about them, if they'd be willing to, to take their money over time. So I start talking some of that kind of, of language in there. Mm -hmm. So when I'm going in, I'm like, okay, this person's totally done. We can do a seller thing. I start asking them questions on the phone too, about have you talked with, cause if they've owned it for, you know, 30 years or 40 years, have you talked with your accountant? It sounds like, you know, you're going to have a heck of a basis here. You've depreciated. You're going to have all that recapture. You know, I, and I tell them I'm not an accountant or, you know, a, a real estate tax attorney, but I think you're going to get killed when you sell this thing on what you have to pay into the government. Uh, you, you, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to like paying the government. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they haven't thought about that. Mm -hmm. So the so the stage at which you introduce the idea of seller financing, you said you also make you also will make them a cash offer. It's just way lower because it has to be because right. <laughs> then you got to go find the cash at eight or nine or ten percent interest um, instead of giving them that money. Uh, th that happens in a face to face sort of scenario. Yeah, because and the thing is, is when I'm doing a cash and I'm teaching my students and stuff, what I'm telling them is, is you've got to anchor that seller to how bad your offer is going to be. You have to prepare them. Uh, most, you know, investors when they go in to to make a, a cash offer, it's slam bam, thank you, ma'am, take it or leave it. There's no softening. There's no preparation for it. So obviously investors get that reputation of, oh, you're trying to steal my property, you know, that dirtbag investor, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And instead, I, I have a different approach. And I learned this from my very first seller finance deal, which was an investor that I did it with a tired landlord. Um, and basically, I was like, say, I can't tell you what I mean, you're going to hate it there. It's nowhere near what you want. I mean, I, I, I don't even want to tell you it. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens when you tell somebody that? No, you're not go ahead. Tell them no, no, no. I won't get offended. I promise. <laughs> go, 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 go ahead. Just tell me. And 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 then I say, well, you've got to promise you're not going to get mad and yell at me and, and throw me out. And they're like, don't be ridiculous. I'm like, I'm serious. I, I can't give you what you want, and you're not going to like it. Well, they still want to know. Mm -hmm. But then I so after I give it to them, I said, however. I can do, I'm a little different. I can do a lot of things that most investors don't know how to do. And what if I could even give you more money for your property? And then they're like, what? <laughs> and so that's when we start introducing the terms deal. And again, in every negotiation, there's, you know, what they call that black swan or whatever. It's that one thing that once known can change the whole makeup of it. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of times it's around, you know, what do they need that money for? kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I had one season investor that had multiple rental properties and I was like, okay, what do you need the money for? And he's like, like, I mean, it's just a pile of cash on a table. I mean, you have all these other properties. It's not going to do much for you. And this was his childhood home. So it really held more, you know, dear to his heart. And he promised his wife that when he sold his mom's property or his parents' property, she would get a new kitchen. 
well, down payment solve problems. Yeah. <laughs> so right away, I'm thinking, oh, God, $60,000, $80,000, what are we talking here? Is I, so I asked him, you've got to ask these questions. Well, what do you think that would cost? Like, ah, and he does some calculations. And again, you got to go silent. That's the other thing I think a lot of people mess up in their negotiations is they just talk, talk, talk. So you go silent, let them think, and he comes back with $20,000 and a property, you know, that I'm looking to buy for around two eighty. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, why don't we put another $5,000 in there? Because I realize he's going to have closing costs and everything. Mm-hmm. So if I can give you your price, and give you $25,000, is there any reason you wouldn't do this? Mm-hmm. And that's how we start backing into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very nice. All right. So it's break time again. And we come back, we seriously are going to go to, to listener questions. I know I said that before, but I got so interested in what you're saying that I just... I, I stopped listening. I stopped looking at the listener questions. And I've got even more of them now. You've got even more of them now. So... Uh, Askvina at gmail.com, 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. The person on the other end of the line is Maria Giordano. And we've been having a <laughs> very interesting conversation about the the process of getting getting the other person who needs to be involved in a seller finance deal. And that's the seller uh, to contact you and then what happens immediately after that. So questions from listeners, Maria. Uh, this one is from Brenda, and this is a fantastic question. Uh, I'm looking at a possible purchase of a very unique and quirky home for a, sor- a short-term rental. It's been listed by an agent for six months. Price is too high, Brenda. And yeah. <laughs> it just had a recent price drop. Motivation is that the children have inherited it and aren't really interested anymore in the upkeep and maintenance of this 4,000 square foot jewel. Please don't say the word jewel to the real estate agent. They aren't hurting for money, so they don't need a full cash offer, but the realtor doesn't understand creative finance and she's the gatekeeper for presenting offers. How do I best work with her to communicate the benefits and keep it simple so that she doesn't opt out for another offer that, quote, seems easier? Um, I actually work with a lot of realtors uh, all the time. And I also have other realtors present my offers to realtors, realtors that trained um, on the creative stuff. Realtors, as I think most people know, are mostly afraid of how am I going to get paid? You know, um, so when I'm talking to a realtor to present an offer, my offers are usually not first put on a, um, you know, the standard offer form from the MLS. I usually type out a, an email with, with the moving pieces, very succinct of how it will be. Before I send it, I get them on the phone. <laughs> Mm-hmm. because what do I need to do when I send it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to be going over this offer with the person. So I schedule a time to go over my offer with that realtor, if, if you're only using you know, the listing realtor as your realtor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's unnatural, but not getting paid 
is hurting them as well. So you need to overcome their objections of how am I going to get paid? How is this going to help my seller? Um, are you a scam? Is this you know, legal? I, I, <laughs> is this legal? I tell them we do a note in a mortgage. It's very important. You know, how are we protecting this asset? How are we protecting the other parties? Mm-hmm. Um, because we're, let's face it, in real estate, there's a lot of scams. Yeah, we're closing with a um, we're closing with a title company or attorney. They're going to go over all the documents. Yep. We're not going to close in a bar mm-hmm. at midnight. <laughs> nope, nope, exactly. How everything is, is all legal, how it's all done, and then I answer their other questions that they're not saying. I'm like, well, it sounds like you're thinking, what if I don't pay? So I'm addressing the elephant in the room, mm-hmm. and also I'm asking that them, you know, I'm sure this is very overwhelming. You've got to have a ton of questions for me. Mm-hmm. And we start answering their questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then does the does the agent then directly, when you do put your offer in writing, does the direct the agent then directly present it to their seller or are you there? How, how does that offer presentation? I prefer help? to be there. Mm-hmm. I prefer to be there. I did have um, one agent who um, their seller also, and this was, we had to do it over Zoom because, again, I do stuff in other states, and this was the um, seller's son was living down in Florida. And so we hopped on a, a Zoom call because they the sellers, honestly, they want to know if you're a good person and if they can trust you. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get that over email, and mm-hmm. you're not going to get that by playing telephone games to a realtor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True story. Okay. All right. So question from, and thank you for that great question, Brenda. Question from Nancy. What does your marketing strategy look like now compared to in the past? How have you changed it and why? Well, since COVID, I go after more directly tired landlords. Before I was doing a lot of probate and and other stuff. Now I go directly or gear more towards um, tired landlords and also the wholesalers because there's wholesalers that have tons of dead leads sitting there that are like, you know, awesome for me. It's like the kid in a candy store. Um, The reason being is that since COVID, a lot of landlords are just over it and also their heirs or their their children, whatever, don't want to take over those properties. Mm -hmm. I'm also doing um, multifamily same way small multifamily, you know, 20 to 100 doors. And for those, I'm even going after the older landlords again. And a lot of them, which blows my mind, do not have the properties in LLCs. Hmm. That's because they're, so, they're old and, and school. And <laughs> From back in the, yep, back in the exactly. days when you didn't have to worry about stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then, you know, good old networking with people mm-hmm. all the time. Telling them what you do, how you help landlords, how you help people with their real estate problems. Hmm. That sounds so, like a good but, thing to say uh, at a real again, meeting. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and the reason why I'm so big on direct mail, too, is think about how many emails you get a day. I mean, 150, 200, maybe. Uh, think about how much mail you're getting in your mailbox. There's Almost days where anymore, I get yeah. one, one letter. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and my letters, again, are different, so they stand out more, so they get opened. Okay, well, that, that might lead into Robert's question, which is, what is the secret to, to your to getting your letters opened? It doesn't look like a business. Um, 
I do a few things differently. So I like Tiffany blue because what woman doesn't like Tiffany. Uh, so I put all my letters in a Tiffany blue envelope. I have them. Um, I have somebody else hand address them. Um, it's called PeaceWorks. When I was working in a factory, I learned all about PeaceWork. You get paid for peace. So I have somebody that hands addresses them for me, signs the, the, the letter with my name on it. It's not a legal document. They can sign it for me. Um, stuff it, stamp it, and mail it. Um, the stamps, you know, are, are fun. Um, post office stamps. Lately, I'm on a dinosaur kick because my eight-year-old's into dinosaurs, so I have dinosaur stamps on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I use um, my home address as a return address. Um, I've used it for that for well over 15 years. And, uh, you know, that gets it open because it doesn't look like everyone else's piece of mail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, so Marie, I'm going to swing this on you when we have two minutes left. <laughs> like literally, we have two minutes left. Um, I, I get it that you don't have a crystal ball. Nobody has a crystal ball. But do you think that the opportunities to buy the way you buy, subject to lease options, uh, owner-held mortgages, are going to get better or worse in the next 12 months? Are there going to be more or less opportunities in the next 12 months, and why? That's actually an awesome question. I think it's getting better. And one of the telltale signs of this is on the MLS, I'm starting to see realtors listing properties with seller financing. Um, The other reason is that people are stuck on their price. I can give them more if I get time, if I get my terms. Hmm. So I think the the time, and, and honestly, in a rising interest rate market, that's where the subject twos and the wraps all came from was to preserve those lower interest rates. Uh-huh. So there's never been a better time to, to do these strategies. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's interesting about the agents starting to list properties uh, with seller financing, because I remember that from when I first got into real estate in the late 80s and early 90s. That was pretty mm-hmm. common. And then it disappeared because interest rate pretty pretty much went down and down and down and down and down and down and down from there. And it got super easy there, overly easy there for a while for people to get loans. And so there was no reason for agents to know about any sort of creative mm-hmm. finance structures or advise their folks to do it. But, man, I'm telling <laughs> you, there was, there was a time when like 10% of all the listings in MLS said – Owner will consider second. Owner will consider land contract. Owner will consider owner financing. So, um, yeah, that is a that's a big sign that yeah. that, that, that yeah. things are changing really rapidly. Well, Maria, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today, and I look forward to seeing you here in Cincinnati on November second, third, fourth, and fifth for the annual National Real Estate Strategy Summit. Which listeners need to. You need to put those dates on your calendar. You don't want to do what you did last year and miss it because you had something else to do. And we'll be talking more about that as time goes on here. Thank you very much, Maria. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.